When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greedy with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, back and better than ever. Greedy with you here on ESPN Radio. Delighted that you are along for the ride. Uh, my longtime friend, the icon, Michael Wilbon, will join us in 20 minutes. Uh, son of the city of Chicago, as was Dick Butkus, whom we lost this week. We spent about 15 minutes talking about Dick Butkus earlier this morning, if you're just joining us. And, uh, and we will talk with Mr. Wilbon about him as well. I saw... A little bit of what he said on TV yesterday. I saw. I read his uh, tweets uh, last night about losing his two idols of his youth, who were Gale Sayers and Dick Butkus, in this short period of time. Again, I was there uh, the night that they retired their numbers. And what I remember about that night more than anything, I felt so bad for them. It was a monsoon-like rainstorm. You've never seen ra- sheeting rain. At Soldier Field, and 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 Dick Butkus and Gail Sayers are basically out there with like those ponchos over their clothes, like you know, trying to address the Soldier Field crowd that was trying to decide between racing for cover and listening to these two idols speak. But one way or another, um, you know, we gave our lengthy thoughts on the passing of Dick Butkus earlier, and and we will hear from Michael on those, and we'll also ask Michael about the extraordinary surprise that the Chicago Bears pulled off last night with an incredible performance, and it sets up some really interesting decisions that they will make about their quarterback going forward here, Justin Fields, both short-term and long. But as I was listening to Doug Brown, it occurred to me, and I want to just sort of bring this up. Bubba, I'll bring it up to you. Refresh my memory on the exact circumstances. When Steve Cohen bought the Mets, or at some point after he bought the Mets, wasn't there a stage there where he was tweeting all sorts of like critical things? He, he was he was he was posting slash saying a lot of things that got an enormous amount of attention. Refresh my memory of exactly what how that played out. Yeah, I, I forget. He was just tweeting a lot. I forget even exactly what the tweets were, but I think he was just he was basically just tweeting like a fan. I guess is the easiest way to describe it. Like he just he kind of just took over and just continued to act like a fan and was just tweeting nonstop about what needed to change, this needed to happen, players need to do X, Y, and Z, and all that stuff. And, and yeah, the people, the players, I don't think, liked it at first. Yeah. And, and then he he really took a step. Now he, he hardly ever tweets. I think he, then he was, he was in, you know, engaging with fans and going back and forth with people and so, all that. And now he, he barely ever tweets about the stuff and, you know, regarding the Mets. Right. So, so I, the, the context I'm giving there is only because it occurs to me that Magic Johnson is such a ubiquitous person. He's everywhere. We're so accustomed to hearing him comment on everything that my initial reaction was not that big a deal when I read his tweet calling out his own team last night. Again, he is a part owner of the Washington Commanders. Uh, he's not the, what's the word, the governor. He's, yeah. he, he's not Josh Harris, who's going to be the one voting and all that stuff. And Magic Johnson went on Twitter and said, tonight the Commanders played with no intensity or fire. We didn't compete in the first half. I mean, those are pretty strong we, words. We didn't we, compete. That's what I mean. And so for the first time, as I heard Doug Brown reading that, I don't know, I've been awake now for whatever it is, eight hours. I don't know why it didn't occur to me until just this minute. 
If that was any other owner of any other team, we'd be making a much bigger deal of it, right? I mean, an owner, let's just use, if, if um, which McCaskey runs the Bears now? Take him out of the equation. If, if Woody Johnson came out after the debacle that was, you know, the Jets lost one of these Jets losses and tweeted, tonight we played with no intensity or fire. We didn't compete in the first half. It would be stop the press's news, right? It's all we would talk about. We would have done two hours of it on Get Up this morning. Today we barely touched on it. It didn't even occur to me to practically use any of it on the radio show today. Are we not making a big deal enough of this? No, we're not. That's a good observation. And when he says... Like, no intensity or fire. Like, it's one thing if, if Magic Johnson had tweeted, you know, we didn't devise a, a, a smart strategic game plan or something. When you're questioning effort, that's a, that's a direct shot at the coach. Like, that is a huge deal. I don't care what percentage stake you own. That's a big deal. And the fact that he used the term we, not they, I mean, this is, this is a thing that we should pay a lot of attention to. No question. Bubba, you're telling me you have an example of something yeah, from so Steve I, Cohen. I found back, so on August 18th, 2021, Steve Cohen said, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. Okay, so, I remember that. Yeah. Now, that was the one that we argued about forever. Yeah. Some people loved it. Oh, look, good for him. He's talking like a fan and others. Right. We're completely on the other side. I mean, he just called them out, just right, you know. Right, but blatantly. Steve Cohen is a guy who made billions of dollars in a hedge fund. Sure, Magic Johnson is has been a public figure since I was a small child, so he he, he is he is a sports icon. So it just it, it hits different when it's him. And so what I'm asking is, how big a deal should we be making? If you're Ron Rivera, has anyone had a worse five days than Ron Rivera? who lost his riverboat status forever by not going for the two on Sunday in Philadelphia and then explaining it by saying his team was too gassed to go for the two, which was the most, just the worst explanation for anything that I've ever heard. And then five days later, they come out and his team plays so badly that one of the owners says that they played with no intensity fire and didn't compete. That's a pretty bad few days for Ron Rivera. I mean, has any NFL head coach that has done less winning, gotten more national media love than Ron Rivera? Like, I under, look, look, I understand that Ron Rivera is a person that we like and are predisposed to like and defending. Fine. He was a legendary player. He had a, a, a nice run in Carolina. He hasn't done. He wasn't a legendary player. He was a decent player. He had a very good run. He took Carolina to the Super Bowl. He had a they year. They were 15-1. and one He had a year, year in Carolina. He had one really good but year. But on balance, Ron Rivera's reputation is greater than his resume. And if we're talking about the most underachieving units in the NFL right now, how about a Washington defense that has four first-round picks on its line that ranks 27th in win rate and 31st in scoring defense? Like, I think it's high time that Ron Rivera is, is, is properly um, criticized for the underperformance of his team, of his defense. If you elect to make Sam Howell your quarterback, right, you are in part saying it's because our defense can carry us. Your defense, coached by uh, Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera, I, I suppose through osmosis, absolutely stinks. It is it is perfectly fair and reasonable to give him a lot of criticism based upon his coaching this year, uh, over the last two weeks, and candidly over a much more durable period of time. That's probably right. And when you consider there's new ownership in there and everything else, I feel like beyond magic, uh, you know, the, the, the people who I would assume Josh Harris is the one who's actually going to make that kind mm-hmm. of decision, maybe with some input from magic. I, I would, I, look, I, I like Ron Rivera. I unapologetically root for him, but I can't defend him against what you're saying. What you say is accurate. 
And I think if this thing doesn't get better, he's going to be in some trouble. A reminder, you can watch the show on the ESPN app. Click on watch, look for hashtag Greeny, and you can enjoy our program, which comes to you live from the seaport, brought to you by Gray Goose every single morning. Okay, now next up here, in case you missed it. In case you missed it. Chris Canty was on Get Up With Us this morning, and I, he really took me aback. So we, I, I set him up by saying, how about that performance of Justin Fields last night? Look how good he looked. Seven unbelievable good quarters in the last five days. You know, Fields is fabulous. What's the right thing to say now? And Chris Canty said, Sell high. Go ahead and move off of Justin Fields right now. His value is not going to get higher than what it is. You're talking about a player that has a 25-game sample size, and they've won six games. Not to say that Justin Fields can't be a good quarterback. Not to say that Justin Fields can't play winning football. What I'm saying is, based on where the Chicago Bears are in their program development, it makes more sense for them to move away from Justin Fields now rather than allowing him to play out the string the rest of the season and potentially devaluing what he could be huh. in a potential trade to another team. <laughs> you actually hear me there say, huh. Uh, th- that was a very genuine, huh. I was, I was genuinely surprised by that because it has been a topic of conversation. Lord knows I've been talking about it all week long, how I'd love to see him traded to Atlanta, which I think would be for everyone's benefit. But suddenly, when you play back-to-back games this well... It changes your perspective at least a little. It, it, it feels like maybe you 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 got to let this thing play out a little. Look, only one team is going to get the right to draft Caleb Williams. It, it's easy to say, yeah, you're going to have two high first-round picks. You could package them. No one's trading that. So either Carolina or the Bears finish with the worst record in the league or you don't get Caleb Williams. He's the no-brainer. He, he's he's going to be the kind of prospect that... that Suffice it to say, no one's trading that pick. I don't care what you offer them. Everyone else is a crapshoot. Of course, none of this means that Caleb Williams is guaranteed to be great, but you're not trading that pick. So if Justin Fields were to play well the rest of this year, or reasonably well, the Bears could have some interesting decisions to make because teams might offer them a king's ransom for the right to go up and get Drake May or someone like that. And then you have another pick that you could take use to take Marvin Harrison Jr., who's a can't-miss superstar prospect at wide receiver. And now all of a sudden, with Justin Fields, that you can lock up for two more years at less than $30 million, which is incredibly cheap by just picking up his fifth-year option, maybe you've got something. What do you do now if you're Chicago? Options are a great thing to have, and the Bears are going to have Options. I disagree with Chris Canty insofar as the Bears should trade Justin Fields midseason. The Bears should not trade Justin Fields midseason. Uh, it would be incompetent. It would be malpractice to do that because without knowing where you'll wind up in the draft, you can't just trade a quarterback without knowing who your next one is going to be. But if you reach the end of the season and you are in position to draft um, Caleb Williams or potentially Drake May if you have a really high grade on those guys, you got to remember a huge benefit of that is the fact that you're going to get the entire rookie contract. Justin Fields only has one more year of cheap control. You're going to have to pay him $6 million next year, and then you're going to have to pay him big money. My opinion... It's not very big money. Let me just say that again. The fifth-year option is not very big money. You can pick up his fifth-year option. I think that's $24 million. That's about right. So if you add those two numbers together, that's $30 million for two years. That's backup money in some... Oh, it, it's, it's a little more than that, but it's, it would be, make him one of the lowest-paid starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Sure, but if you're comparing the idea of paying Justin Fields $25 million in year five, and then the future versus paying Drake May or Caleb Williams $5 million in year one and or two, 
That's the math you're doing. It's not just player for player. It's player for player and the amount of money and the amount of control and flexibility that you have over them. I actually think that you could get a decent haul for Justin Fields in the offseason from some team that doesn't want to start from scratch. Some some team that already has pieces in place like the Atlanta Falcons. And all of a sudden then you have yourself some real assets because you have your one. You have Carolina's one. You have uh, Carolina's two in 2025. You have the pick that you can get uh, or the picks that you can get in trading Justin Fields. That's what the Bears should be doing. Stocking up the shelf. That, that's, the best, that's the best move for the Bears because I'm not willing to give Justin Fields a second contract based upon what I've seen. By the way... There is another pick that they will have. It isn't that exciting, but I will. I guess I will call this breaking news because Shefty tweeted just a little while ago that the Bears have made a trade. They've traded away Chase Claypool. There's no mystery in this. You want to talk about just devastating uh, turn of events. You're the Bears. You trade what turns out to be the 32nd pick in the draft to get Chase Claypool a year ago. He, he does absolutely nothing for you. And you wind up today trading him to Miami for a seventh-round pick in exchange for a sixth-round pick. No, they trade him. I'm sorry. They trade him and a seventh-round pick in exchange for a sixth-round pick. So the Bears had to give up not only Chase Claypool, but also throw in their seventh-round pick to get a sixth-round pick for Chase Claypool. You want to talk about taking a play. You want to talk about buying high and selling low. <laughs> that's one of the worst. Like That's like saying, I bought a stock at $107 and I sold it for $0.88. Cents. That, that's basically what you just did with Chase Claypool. I mean, that's, that's a devastating blow. But I'll, I'll say this. I'll give them this credit. Every team makes mistakes. Every general manager makes mistakes. Every team makes bad deals. I admire what San Francisco did. They made a terrible move in trading up as far as they did and as much as they did to draft um, Trey Lance. But the biggest mistake you can make at that point is compounding it, Mm -hmm. is is cutting off your nose to spite your face to try desperately to prove it wasn't. They made a mistake with Chase Claypool. They cut their losses. They got what they could, and they got on with their lives. So it's a terrible deal, but it's the right thing to do. 100%. It It takes a lot of organizational courage to publicly admit that I'm wrong. And the Bears did that. That's a very important, crucial aspect of team building. And even though it's humiliating, it's way better than doubling down. All right, Will Bond's going to jump in here in a minute. But first... Wow, okay, and how are your trivia skills? This is Sneaky Hembo Trivia. Regular sneaky or extra sneaky? Sneaky Hembo, go. Sneaky Hembo, go. So the Dick Butkus Award has been given out in college since 1985. It's given to the best collegiate linebacker. And so my question is this. Only one college has produced four different but kiss award winners. Which school is it? Which school? Because you had the good question earlier today that Brian's Bo- Brian Bosworth is the only player to win that award twice. Mm-hmm. But this is a totally different question. Which is the only school to produce four different Butkus award winners? The answer next on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute, but Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, 
Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Greeny, the podcast. All right, we have a Butkus-themed trivia question before we bring in Wilbon. Question again, Hembo, go. Only one college has produced four different Butkus Award winners. Which school is it? All right, so you guys complained that I never go first, so I'll go first today. I narrowed it down to three schools, and I'm really struggling. For most of history, Penn State has been known as linebacker U, but a lot of that precedes 1985, which is when they started giving this award Alabama, Saban has just been turning out great players left and right, it feels like. And there's been a bunch of linebackers. And I think of the U for a while there. Miami had all these great players who turned out to be great pros. So I think it's going to be one of those three. And in the interest of moving it along, I will go with Alabama. That's my guess. Bubba. Yeah, I'm just going to stick with Penn State. He's going Penn State. We got one Alabama, one Penn State. Cam? Uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Okay, three guesses on the board. They're all different. Hembo? The correct answer is Alabama. Oh, yes. Wow. Yes. 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 There's nothing I love more than when I'm right and everyone else is wrong. So, Cam, let's update the scoreboard. How does everybody stand at this point? You and I are four and eight, I believe. Uh, what do you mean, I believe? Are you not keeping track of yeah, this? Yeah, I just, you know, I'm looking at the scoreboard now. We are four and eight, Greeny, and Bubba is three and nine, and Mark Cuban is 0 and 1. Okay, fair enough. So I feel very good about that. I'm on a win streak of one in a row. And with that thought in mind, if you were with us in the first hour of our show today, we spent about 15 minutes talking about Dick Butkus. There's nothing I love more than the history of sports. And it is my opinion that there is no legend greater, no name more revered. And no man more feared in the history of American sports than Dick Butkus. And one of my regrets is that I never got to meet him. And I'm, of course, not old enough to have seen him play. 
There's no one I know who loves Chicago sports, and in particular the Chicago Bears, more than my friend Michael Wilbon, whom you know from PTI, you know from um, NBA Countdown and everything else, and he's good enough to jump in for a few minutes here. And Michael, I just wanted to give you the floor. I, I know how much you admired and loved Dick Butkus, so I, I think everyone just wants to hear whatever it is you want to tell us as we get the sad news yesterday that he has died. Yeah, Greeny, thanks for having me. It was it was a sad day. It's so a sad morning. I'm in Chicago now. Um, I did not stay and watch the game in person last night. I had enough of watching the Bears in person, being at the Green Bay game and at the Broncos game on Sunday. Uh, and the Green Bay game, just three weeks ago, Dick Buckus was there. Yeah. On the sideline, had a microphone at one point, promising that we should kick Green Bay's you-know-what. It was great. Buckus roaring into a microphone at 80 years old. And there was no hint that he wasn't fine and good to go for a while longer. Although, you, you know, you don't, how would he have promised at 80? But, you know, I, I don't know that any athlete has ever personified the city more than Butkus. Uh, he, he's from here. People, don't under, people now don't realize that. Dick Butkus is from the south side of Chicago. He went to Chicago Vocational School. He didn't go to some fancy private school. Dick Buckus went to CVS. So did Ray Nitschke, by the way. If you, if you want to have a short list of the toughest people to ever play professional sports mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. Buckus and Nitschke better be on it. Mm-hmm. They played against each other for the same high school uh, to start with. And, uh, and then Buckus went on to go to Illinois and, and be drafted. Um, the same day as Gail Sayers, three and four. How about that, by yeah. the way? Mm-hmm. And so I did get to know him uh, as a grown man. I was completely intimidated by both him and Sayers for different reasons. Sayers came off much more as the tough guy in person because he was. And Butkus had a laugh that just undermined the whole thing, and you knew that this guy was tough on the field, but that wasn't who he was. The person you saw in the beer commercials and in the interviews was, mm-hmm. but he, he was the most, you know, people say tough. He was the most violent hitter I, I have ever seen. I've been watching pro football for 60 years, and I'm not going to say he was better than Lawrence Taylor. I'm not going to say that. But Butkus and Taylor, to me, personified linebacker play. And, you know, I was listening to this. There's one line, and I don't know if you've heard it, and I don't know if it was written. It was uttered by John Facenda. Uh, it may have been written by Steve Sable. I'm not sure which man wrote it, but it tried to capture Butkus and the violence with which he played. And there's this one line at the beginning of an NFL film's treatment of Butkus's career, and it says, and I want to quote it accurately, his nine-year career stands apart as the single most sustained work of devastation hmm. ever committed on a football field by anyone, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> And that, to me, accurately captured. If you, you have to look. Don't look at the Butkus highlights with music. Look at the ones with real sound, <laughs> where he is knocking the air out of other Hall of Fame offensive players. And and you know Deacon Jones, who had to be in that list of tough guys, you know, who were violent also, said he had a poem: "Roses are red, violets are blue." If you let if, if you've got any sense, you don't let Butkus get anywhere near you. <laughs> and, it's, you know, it's just like who inspires that kind of talk? Um, and so it was, you know, I, I met him 
I got to talk to him. I got to talk to him more than I should have. And I told this story on SportsCenter last night. I'll tell it again quickly. Somehow, my my phone got stuck on Dick Butkus's number. He was not living in Chicago past his playing days very much. He lived in California, Southern California, Malibu. And I would butt dial Butkus like in the middle of the night. It was crazy. <laughs> and one night, I didn't know this. I'm looking at my phone going, oh, my God, I called Dick Butkus in the middle of the night? <laughs> so I get a phone call, and it's Butkus, and he's saying, hey, what are you doing butt-dialing me like this? It's about the fifth time. And it's Dick Butkus. I'm terrified that Butkus might come through the phone. Instead, he starts that maniacal laugh. And he says, I love it. I can hear you and your son. And Matthew was about two years old. And he said, I can hear you and Matthew talking about everything. And subsequent to that, he would ask me about my son. He wanted to know everything about still what was going on in Chicago. He, you know, hey, What's this Derrick Rose kid like? He's a tough guy from the South Side, right? I love this kid. Uh-huh. Have you seen him play? I mean, when, when Derrick Rose was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so Butkus, you know, grew up in Roseland, a place where people listening now are going to say, oh, my God, who's the last white person that grew up in Roseland? Well, like any place in, in urban America, these neighborhoods change, but Butkus grew up there. And it's just, you know, he he – personified who we are, who we want to be. We care. Greedy, you spend enough time here with college and work, and you know mm-hmm. how Chicagoans care about being tough and being perceived as tough. And nobody, look, Peyton, my God, Walter Peyton missed one game. He missed one game in 13 years playing that position. So you know he was tough. Mm-hmm. Jordan essentially missed no games, none. Ditka, no game. They they missed no games. But if you are going to list tough guys who people identify with as giving us our signature, I'm going to say Buckus is at the top of the list. Greeny and the great Mike Wilbon, I, I agree with you. The two things I have come to learn over my the, the 11 years I spent living there and having now been married for 26 years to a Chicago girl is the two things Chicagoans love are people who are tough and people who are their own. They they are incredibly defensive. And as you said, he's from Chicago. He's from the South side. He went to CVS. He married his high school sweetheart uh, in 1963. Yep. 60 years they were married, which is unbelievable. He Butkus was. So the few things that I've learned that I didn't know, he was the youngest of eight children which I did not know, which could explain how you get to be so tough. And I just want to read you one thing, Michael, that we came across when Hembo and I were doing the research for our book, and and there was a a section about him. When they asked him to describe toughness and intimidation, he said, quote, from the Romans to the Native Americans to the United States Marine Corps, the battle cry remains the primary method of pushing the fear down so far that the whimpering can't be heard on the football field there was no one louder than me that's butkus himself who said that michael yeah tom landry tom landry told stories you know i was lucky enough to be around covering the nfl at the end of coach landry's time and he would tell butkus stories about putting young offensive linemen or like a young center in the game for the cowboys and the cowboys had great teams and they, Landry could feel the fear from the offensive linemen who were going in for the first time playing against Butkus. Mm-hmm. 
And you're like, are you serious? This guy was that he would he would mangle people. He would just he did. If you look at these films, he didn't just tackle. He would like corkscrew helmets off. I mean, Butkus would be he would be thrown out of every NFL game now in the first quarter. <laughs> There's no game he could play in until right. halftime. <laughs> and it, you know, when you hear guys like Deacon Jones and Bill Curry and the toughest of tough guys talk about their being intimidated by Butkus. Jim Brown, who could, who's on a list of, you know, short list, toughest guys ever. Jim Brown just shook his head when people started talking about Butkus, talking about being hit by him, because people went backward. Just look at the the video. And so, you know, for me, Greeny, it's, you know, I, I got precious few heroes left. I mean, we, we didn't have good teams. You, you spent enough time here. You know the history. We had terrible teams. Ernie Banks and Dick Buckus and Gail Sayers never played in a postseason game. Mm. Never. Incredible. And they're all go- they're, they're gone. And my our jerseys in my little league said Ernie Banks Ford mm. on the back of the jerseys because Ernie Banks sponsored our little league in part. We don't have a little league where I grew up with now for Ernie Banks. And I got to thank him for that as a grown man in my 30s and 40s and 50s. And I got to, to meet all of my heroes, all of them, Ditka, Banks, Williams, Bobby Hull. I got to meet all the people who say, don't meet your heroes. I got to meet all of them. And I'm very lucky, and I understand that those relationships could have been altered the course of them by them knowing who I was in some cases at the end. But, but you know, there's precious few left. So Ditka's left. Ferguson Jenkins is left. Billy Williams. Um, of that time where Chicago had awful teams, god-awful, except the Blackhawks got to the finals a few times. Hmm. But, but we had stars. We had iconic, great players that were tough and played every game. And, you know, it's part of what Michael Jordan understood as he came here and he got to meet these people on sidelines and, and, and sitting and watching him play. Jordan understood this, understands it. He met them all. He knows them all. And so, you know, to, to, to get to sort of meet them myself and get to know them and now lose them is, it's hard. Beautifully said, uh, beautifully told stories. Michael, I knew this would be a, a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. I miss you. I love you, big fella, and I will see you as soon as we can get together. Love you too, Greedy. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, Michael Wilbon. Again, you'll see him on PTI and, and, and everything else. And he is, a, he is a son of Chicago in every conceivable way. And, and uh, I really, I'm so glad that we talked about this as much today as we have. And I really hope, I understand that I am speaking to an audience that largely did not see Dick Butkus play. You have to be in your 60s at this point at least to have seen Dick Butkus play because I'm 56 and I didn't. But as I opened the show by saying this morning, I'm a kid who grew up reading about sports history, and I love it. I love it. And I, these people became larger than life in my mind. Like, to me, Dick Butkus was, it wasn't even a human being. Like, I can't even put into words the way I envisioned him. And, and so I really hope everyone has enjoyed listening to this day as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you, certainly as I have enjoyed talking about this and whatnot. There is something very cool. That's, that's one thing Michael and I have in common. Because I really grew up in two different places. I grew up in New York, and then I, I spent 
my years from 18 to 29 in Chicago. So those are also formative years. Certainly my, my professional formative years came in Chicago. But as a kid, what he's talking about, I grew up in New York. And I did get to meet some of those people over the course of my time. And I've had similar experiences that like, you know, some of them, you know, every now and again, not the friendly, not always the friendliest people, but, you know, many of the people that I grew up idolizing, particularly Joe Namath, Walt Frazier. I remember the first time I met Phil Jackson, Phil's coaching the Bulls. And in those days, this is in the old Chicago Stadium. So this was a building that had probably, I don't even know what year that was born, uh, that was built, but they played in that. The first repeat was in the old Chicago Stadium. They had built the United Center after that. But the, the, the first repeat was in the old Chicago Stadium, and those were the teams I covered. So I'm there one night, a young reporter, and there's like a little press dinner that they serve. They put out, you know, salad and whatever it is that you can eat before the game. And Phil Jackson stops in. He just sort of walks in, makes himself some food, and he sits down and he's eating at a table. And I said, what the hell? I may never get this chance again. I grew up watching Phil Jackson. He was number 18 on the old Knicks. And he had these big windmill arms, and they would always put him in to defend against the inbound pass late in the game, you know, because he had these crazy long arms. And I sat down next to Phil. He has no idea who I was because I was no one. I was a 25-year-old kid, you know, but just happened to idolize him, not because he was the coach of the world champion Bulls, but because he had been a backup on the Knicks championship teams in the early 70s. And I sat down and I just start, I just took a chance and I just started asking him questions about those teams and he loved it. He loved talking about it. He loved that I wasn't asking him, you know, is Craig Hodges coming off the injured list this week? I was asking him, so who was better, the teams with Earl Monroe or the teams with Dick Barnett? And he loved it. He, you have no idea what I'm talking about. No, this, these, these are names that I know. Okay, yeah. So Because of you. The two Knicks championship teams, uh, the first one, 1970, the starting backcourt was Walt Frazier and Dick Barnett. The second one, they had traded for Earl Monroe. And Monroe was a much better player historically than Dick Barnett was. But my dad would always tell me that 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 first team he thought was better. And so I'm asking this to Phil. And Phil's telling I don't even remember what he said anymore. But I just remember how much I loved having that conversation with him, which anyway is a longabout way of saying that when you get to talk about stuff with people that you've just looked up to all of your life, like no player today could be as big in my imagination as Dick Butkus, mm. no player could be. Let's see, he's a bad example because he genuinely was that great. But like people will try and tell me, Joe Namath is not on the list of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I will just say, you just shut the hell up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if I'm right or I'm wrong. To me, he is. And he's always going to be. And, and I think that's the way we all feel. And I think you heard that from Wilbon there, right? That was nice. No, most, no yes, 100%. The one question that I have in listening to him share, you know, with all of his Chicago background and experience, like if you were to rank all the legends that have ever come through and played sports in Chicago, would you say that Dick Butkus is right behind Michael Jordan? As, as uh, greatness as a player? Greatness as a player and then kind of lasting legacy. Like, do you think it's those two in that order? I think Walter Payton has to be seriously considered. Mm-hmm. I think Walter Payton and Dick Butkus are the two greatest players in Bears history, and I don't know how you choose one. I really don't. I think if right now, if you were to name the all-time starting team, if you were to name the starting 22 in NFL history, both of them would be on it. Mm-hmm. I think Butkus would be on it, and I think, the, the, I think the, to me, the running backs would be Walter Payton and Jim Brown. That, that's who I would choose. And so I think the two of them 
would be on. I can't choose one over the other. Gotcha. It's, it's like choosing between your kids. So you those, can't do it. So those three uh, above and beyond, anyone that ever played baseball in the city that played hockey in the yeah, city? I mean, the greatest baseball player in Chicago history would be Ernie Banks. And he's an all-time great, mm-hmm. but he's not on that. I don't think he's on that level with those guys. Right. Uh, you know, Bobby Hull was, was a beloved hockey player. Um, he's probably the greatest of the Blackhawks. Um, trying to think, who am I forgetting? I think that would be, I mean, I, I, there are people who know the history of the city so much better than I do. That's who would come to my mind. The, the thing Dicka about, would be right there. Right. As far as beloved. For he's sure. up there too. The things about Budkiss though is that, you know, the, like the pure testimony is almost like apocryphal. Like it's almost like people are describing deity yeah. and not a human being. That, that, that's what right. has stood out to me over the last couple of days here. All right. If you miss any of the show, a lot of our conversations early today, the podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on the ESPN app or Sirius XM Channel 80. Who you got is next on ESPN Radio. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio. We've got a bunch of business to d- attend to before we wrap up on this Friday, heading into a huge weekend. First off, we can hear it from Hembo. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows. You got props for me? What do you got? I do. I'm playing the under. The under 60 and a half is the total in Oklahoma, Texas. The te- uh, right now, the Longhorns are second in the country in defensive efficiency. Oklahoma is seventh. This is not going to be a shootout. This is going to be a rock fight. Play under the total, 60 and a half. That's interesting that game to me. On Saturday. I'm always afraid to go under in these college games because they tend to go on forever late. You never know what the heck happens. But all right, there's one. Hembo is always right on these. By the way, the under in the Red River rivalry. Go. I'm playing the Dolphins minus seven and a half in the first half 
against the Giants. That's the first half line, minus seven and a half. It's a short week for the Giants. They're on the road, a high of 88 degrees in Miami, and they've been outscored 77 to 9 in the first half this season. They haven't scored a touchdown in the first half, right? They've not. That, what is the number in the game? 12. The number's 12, but I think the Dolphins are going to be up by more than seven and a half at Me the half. Me too. I love that pick. That feels like stealing money. It does. And I'm, and I'm also playing the Jets over 20 and a half points against the Broncos. So they haven't scored more than 20 in regulation this season, but the Broncos defense has also forced only seven punts in four games. I think the Jets are going to get to 21 or more than 21 in that game for sure. Love it. I love that. There you go, the Hembo props. This week, he's got the under in the Texas-Oklahoma game. He's got the Dolphins blowing out the Giants at halftime, and he's got the Jets in the over on their points. So that's Hembo's time. Now we go to Bubba. Life is a series of choices. Who you got? Make a decision. Say it! Say it! All right, I'll say it. Who you got? All right, Bubba's got all the questions for me here, including the picks we make every single week. How am I doing in this Pick'em Challenge? Pretty bad. You are 3-9 and nine in last place. Game night, Carlin versus Joe are tied at 9-3 and three in first place. So, time right, to well, turn We've we got plenty of time for a comeback. All right, we've got three picks today. We're going to start Jaguars versus Bills. By the way, who you got brought to you by Granger. Jaguars versus Bills, they are in London. In this game, it's Buffalo minus five and a half. Who you got here? I love Jacksonville. They have an unfair geographic advantage. They've been in London for a week and a half. Buffalo flies out there. It's the biggest home field advantage you can possibly have, which is to say they're acclimated and the Bills are not. This is a sneaky trap game. I love Jacksonville this weekend. Give me the Jags and the points. Ravens at Steelers. This game's on ESPN Radio. Tune in. Baltimore minus four. Who you got? Ravens are going to kill them, aren't they? That's what they want you to it think. It doesn't seem like nearly enough, right? Is that not nearly enough points? Is that a smelly line? It's a little smelly, although the total is the totals in the high 30s, so that's why the line isn't huge, but the line stinks to me. Ravens minus the four. I'll take it. Next. Biggest game of the weekend. Cowboys at 49ers. San Francisco somehow a four-point favorite. I don't understand why. Who you got? Says the man wearing the Micah Parsons jersey. I'll tell you why, because they're better than the Cowboys basically everywhere on the field. I, I, don't, I don't know where you look to see an advantage. They're def- if you want to even call the defenses a wash, and I'm not 100% sure I'm willing to do that, but let's even call that a wash. The, the Niners' offense is way better. Their skill position talent is better. They're, they have no one to even compare to Chris McCaffrey. Uh, and the quarterbacks at this point, I'm not 100% sure. Let's put it this way. Dak is not playing better than Brock Purdy, even if he is better. I'll take San Francisco. I'll give the four. All right, we saved some time for some fun at the finish. Take it away, Bob. All right, who you got brought to you by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call clickranger.com or just stop by. And 103 years ago last week, Walter Matthau was born in Manhattan. He died back in 2000. Who you got as your favorite Walter movie? I loved Walter Matthau in every conceivable way. He was especially brilliant in the Neil Simon comedies. Because it became so legendary, I'll choose The Odd Couple because most people now associate The Odd Couple with a television show starring Jack Lugman and Tony Randall. My actual favorite Walter Matthau movie would be The Sunshine Boys that he made with George Burns. Both of them are Neil Simon adaptations of Neil Simon plays. So I'll go one or both of those two on the great Walter Matthau. Next. Bruno Mars turns 38 on Sunday. Who you got as your favorite Bruno Mars song? Uh, He has a song called um, Next Stop Brooklyn, which is not a hit. He didn't play it when I saw him in Brooklyn. 
What is that picture that I was looking at on the screen? That's not Bruno Mars. No, that was Yusei Kikuchi. <laughs> that, was, that was a picture on the Blue Jays. Easy okay. to confuse. We obviously got, had a little bit of a mistake there that. on the screen. <laughs> what, why? I don't understand. No, I just, That's another question. I just that's found a, that's it a later to be question, oh, but wonderful. Okay, one way or the I li- other. I like that. <laughs> Bruno Mars, I'm going to go. Uh, my favorite song. Uh, my favorite, uh, I'll pick one that everybody knows, so I'll say... Uh, Marry You is my favorite um, Bruno Mars song, but my actual favorite song, which is one that nobody knows, is called Next Stop Brooklyn. All right, Greeny and Hembo and Bubba and Cam, go. What's All right, next? Well, speaking of that Blue Jays pitcher, Yusei Kikuchi, I guess is his name, he says he typically speaks uh, sleeps 13 to 14 hours a night, which I don't even know how you can do that. So 13 to 14 hours a night. What is your preferred amount of sleep? Obviously, you got to get up pretty early. That would so be. So what are you thinking? Who you I got? love it. I, I don't know what this says about me, but like we were in we were in California for the wedding. Stay stayed out there for a couple of days. My daughter's not home. My son's not home. My, my dog is not home. All I could think about was how much sleep I was going to get. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is glorious. I'm going to sleep like there was no tomorrow. And then, of course, Sunday night, I had to stay up late and watch the Jets. So I was extra tired Monday. And, oh, did I sleep. My preferred amount. So how much hours, how much sleep do I get? Usually, I try and get seven hours sleep a night. How much would I like to get? I'd like to sleep over eight hours a night. I would die to sleep seven hours a night. Because I now have, uh, we have uh, identical twin girls at home, 13 months old. I live in a perpetual state of exhaustion. So could, let's, could you ever sleep 13 hours, though? Could you imagine doing that? Oh, hell yeah. No, oh, yes. no way. If you didn't set an alarm, you just went in and, and slept, you no would wake chance. up in less than 13 hours? Yeah, for oh, sure. Not me. I would, I would wake up a week from Thursday. All right, we're going to finish it with this, by the way, Bubba. Um, again, if you're just joining us, Hembo's wife went to Vegas for work, and she forgot her wedding ring on this trip. And I think all of us, Hembo, are we're saying a prayer for you yeah. that this weekend doesn't prove to be something, you know, really difficult for you. You know, actually, one of the listeners tweeted at me saying, I should actually be feeling better about this because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Does that make you feel better or worse? <laughs> it didn't. No, I would think that would make you feel it much, much worse. It made me feel worse. that she had nefarious motives. Yes. No, I think her motives are nefarious. I don't think there's any question of that. And I think you should be concerned about it. If you went to Vegas and, quote-unquote, forgot your wedding ring at home, that would not be acceptable behavior. I would never hear the end of it. I think an investigation needs to be handled here. I think, Bubba, I'd like you to chair that investigation. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts.